My name is Emmeline Heffernan. I'm a consultant paediatrician with a special interest in diabetes and endocrinology, working in the Children's Hospital in Belfast, and I'm going to be talking to you today about DKA. So just to start, um, I'll be starting with a little bit of background and then go through the definition and just some details about the diagnosis. Um, I'll talk about the different um, presentations, not all of which are classical. And then I'll go through the emergency management and we use the BSPD guidelines, which were updated earlier this year. And I'll take you through a case and then discuss cerebral edema um, and answer some questions. So why is DKA so important? Well, it's the leading cause of death in children with type 1 diabetes and it counts for between 60 and 90% of mortality for children with diabetes. Um, it happens quite commonly at diagnosis. Um, the National Paediatric Diabetes Audit is surveying England and Wales shows that almost a quarter of children present and in DKA at diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. That percentage is higher for younger children, and particularly the under twos where the signs aren't always as obvious. Um, anecdotally, I think there's more presentation in DKA recently with COVID and that may be due to difficulties accessing assessment in primary care or perhaps parents being unwilling to come to hospital as well. However, DKA also happens in children with known diabetes and again the National Diabetes Audit showed that 20% of children will be admitted with DKA at some point in a year. Um, locally here our, our numbers aren't as quite as high but there are some children that will present repeatedly in DKA and the risk is higher if they have poor control so HbA1c over 80 millimoles per mole or around 9% in the old terms. Um, it's also more common in adolescents uh, so rebellious teenagers and also in children from difficult social circumstances. So the risk, the main worry with DKA is obviously cerebral edema. And it, historically, it was thought that this didn't happen very often. Um, previous studies looked, looked maybe seven per thousand episodes had cerebral edema. However, recent more neurological imaging studies have shown it, does, it is a bit more common than that. And interestingly, the diabetes audit showed that mannitol or hypertonic saline was actually used in 12% of DKA admissions. So that is very high. And I think the reason for that is that as soon as we suspect cerebral edema, we should treat it. Um, now, because cerebral edema has a very high mortality of 24% and a third of children are left with severe neurological deficit. So we all know the three cardinal features for the diagnosis of DKA, but it's important to note that glucose doesn't have to be that high, so blood glucose over 11. If you look after children with type 1 diabetes, particularly teenagers, you know that's not that uncommon. So a child with known diabetes with relatively normal sugars, if they're unwell and vomiting, they should really be testing ketones at home. And if they present, it's important to think of DKA, even if their sugars don't seem that bad. Um, you also need acidosis, so venous or capillary pH below 7.3 and bicarb below 15. The previous BSPD guidelines said bicarb below 18, but now it's changed to 15 and that correlates with the ISPAD guidelines as well. Um, and also capillary ketones over three. In some centres, um, they check ketones in the urine and it's really important to notice you need two plus of ketones in the urine and I'll come back to that in a minute. So if you've got those three features, you've got DKA and it, it can be classified into mild, moderate and severe based on the pH. So mild DKA, the pH 7.2 to 7.3, bicarb 10 to 15, moderate pH 7.1 to 7.2, bicarb is between five and nine, and a severe DKA is pH below 7.1 and bicarb below five. 
So when to suspect DKA? So it doesn't always present in the classical manner of a child with um, weeks or months history of polyuria, polydipsia. Maybe they've started wetting the bed, they've lost weight, they're very tired, then they gradually develop abdominal pain and vomiting deep sighing, cusmals, respirations, etc. Sometimes the child will be brought to hospital, query gastroenteritis, so the parents are worried the child is vomiting, but there's no diarrhea. Um, sometimes the parents will be worried the child's dehydrated because they're vomiting so much and they're really thirsty. But the clue would be that they're still passing a lot of urine. Um, it can often present with an acute abdomen, so abdominal pain, severe, which can be severe, and vomiting can, all, can, all, can be DKA. And then um, sometimes the cusmals, respirations, those deep, sighing, cusmals, resps, the child is tachypneic, has a distress, however their chest is clear, there's no cough, no fever. With any of these, you should think about DKA and ask about the osmotic symptoms, but not every child will have that history. About 86% do have the classical osmotic symptoms, but some children don't have them. So. Um, Interestingly, we also have some things that mimic DKA. So a few years ago, we had a case of an infant um, who presented with abdominal pain and vomiting, and the gas showed a severe metabolic acidosis. And they checked the BM, which showed um, a, a blood glucose in the teens, the high teens, and the urine was checked, and there, were ke there was ketones in the urine. So that child was thought to have DKA, um, to commenced on insulin, but quickly went hypoglycemic, um, despite the very low insulin dose. And then reviewing the investigation, when they came to PICU, it turned out the urine had only one plus of ketones. So if you do check urine ketones, it's important to make sure that there is enough for the diagnosis. That should be two plus or more. And that child just turned out to have a surgical abdomen. Um, so management then, we use this uh, British Society of Paediatric Endocrinology and Diabetes guidelines. They were updated earlier this year. The new update is really a focus on restoring circulation in children with shock. Um, there's also guidelines with ISPAD and there'll be NICE will be updating guidelines next year for management of DKA as well. We've recently started using the Care Pathway on the BSPD website, which is really good. Um, it's very, very handy. It looks quite wordy, but it's very practical and it really walks you through everything. So if people ask me about um, questions about managing a severe DKA or they're worried about DKA, I'll generally say just look at the guideline because it's really good. So if you go onto the website um, under guidelines and look for the Care Pathway, there is a place where, where it says the DKA calculator. And if you click on that, you can put your own patient's name, their date of birth, their weight, their pH and if they're shocked or not and what insulin rate you want to start. And if you put in all those details, it will complete all the calculations for you and then you can print that out for your patient. So it's very good. Um, the calculator is excellent. So a recent case that we had um, as a little six-year-old boy, he had a quite a short history of just two days of polyuria and polydipsia. Um, and he presented to the emergency department because of abdominal pain. He just had one vomit, but he was very lethargic and he wasn't able to stand up. He'd previously been well. There was no known family history of diabetes or autoimmune conditions. So the triage nurse quickly suspected DKA and um, checked the capillary glucose, which was high, around 21, and the ketones were also very high, 4.7. So this child was brought round to resus and the venous gas was checked showing severe um, metabolic acidosis. So the pH was 6.8 and the bicarb was only 1.4. Um, so their initial management then, if you look on the care pathway, it does also take you through the ABC approach. Um, so the, his airway was patent. He had Cusmol's resps. He was very t 
tachypneic, RESPs was 36. SATs were 100% on them, 100% oxygen via rebreather. But he did have ketotic breath. I would love to be able to smell ketones, but I unfortunately can't. Um, but some people can, and that's really useful if you can. He was also tachycardic, heart rate was 140, but blood pressure was normal, and he had poor central cap refill of three seconds, and was very pale with cold peripheries. However, he was alert, he was able to answer questions, he said he felt fine, and um, he was able to follow instructions and obey commands, pupils were equal, and he was moving his eyes normally. So just thinking about that, what would you do next? So the emergency management, if you haven't looked after a child with DKA before, it's really important to get senior help or at least inform a senior doctor you've a child in with DKA. Um, if, they, if there is a reduced GCS or they're repeatedly vomiting, think about protecting their airway. So do they need airway adjuncts or a support? Um, maybe needs a gastric tube trying to prevent an aspiration pneumonia. In general, you want to avoid intubation because the CO2 may rise and that can reduce the pH of the CSF and actually trigger cerebral edema. So intubation isn't really necessarily the answer here. Um, give them 100% oxygen. Um, check the cardiovascular system. Um, cardiac monitor is really useful and that will give you an early sign of um, low or high potassium. If there is no shock, you should give 10 mils per kilo bolus of normal saline over an hour. So that's basically your free bolus just for coming in and DKA. And that gives you time then to work out the other calculations and figure out what to do next. However, in our case, if you're shocked, um, you should have 20 mils per kilo bolus of normal saline over 15 minutes or plasma light can also be given. Then the child should be reassessed and necess if necessary a further 10 mil per kilo bolus can be repeated twice up to a total of 40 mils per kilo saline. But if there's ongoing shock or hypotension then at that stage you may need to consider inotropes and discuss with PICU. It's worth noting, sometimes the GCS can be really reduced and the child can seem quite unwell. Um, if, that, if that is the case, it's usually related to the pH. However, do think, are there signs of cerebral edema there? Do I need urgent anaesthetic review? And I will come to cerebral edema in more detail later on. The other thing it's really important to do is try and get an accurate weight as soon as you can because you really need an accurate weight for working out all the fluids. So going back to our case, um, and looking at the, on the side, you can see this is the care pathway. Again, it walks you through everything. Because he was shocked, he got a 20 per kilo bolus of normal saline over 15 minutes. And on reassessment, he was much better, his colour improved, heart rate was down and cap refill was normal. So next we're moving on, he didn't need a repeat bolus, but next we move on to calculate the other fluids. So first of all, the deficit or dehydration, that is based on the child's pH. On a mild DKA, the deficit is 5%, a moderate, it's 7%, and a severe DKA, like in our case, is 10%. And then you use that percentage times their weight times 10 to get the volume of the deficit in mils, and that's replaced over 48 hours. You, if the child is not shocked and they've given the 10 per kilo bolus just for turning up in DKA, you do take that away from your deficit, but you don't subtract the resus fluids. The maintenance fluids are now calculated in the standard way. So previously there was a special formula for children in DKA, but we just use the standard method. So a child under 10 kilos gets 100 mils per kilo per day, 
weight 10 to 20, it's 50 mils per kilo per day, and any weight above 20 is 20 mils per kilo per day. But it's important to note, if you're dealing with a very overweight child, you should look um, have a maximum weight of 80 for a teenager, um, and look at the growth chart just to check the 97th centile for that child's age, and don't overdo it with the fluids. The care pathway also has guide weights for different ages as well to refer to. So your hourly rate really is your deficit minus the initial free bolus if you got it, plus your maintenance of for 48 hours and divide all that by 48 hours. But I would recommend using the care pathway and the fluid calculator on that and that keeps you right. Um, the initial fluid is normal saline with 20 millimoles of KCL per 500 ml bag. Only don't, the only reason you wouldn't give KCL would be if it was high or the child seemed to be in renal failure, in which case you'd wait till the potassium falls to the normal range or till they pass urine. The reason that it's important to give potassium from the beginning is once you correct the acidosis and once you start insulin, the potassium is going to be driven into the cells and you can really run into problems with severe hypokalemia if you're not replacing that potassium from the get-go. So going back to our case, you can see there on the pathway, it's all worked out beautifully for you. So the deficit is calculated 10%, 10% um, times the weight times 10, and divide that over 48 hours, and that's your deficit replacement. Your maintenance can calculate it in the standard way, and then that gives you the total volume per hour. And that is just worked out really nicely for you on the pathway. So next you're thinking about insulin. There's no rush with the insulin. You can wait for one to two hours after fluids are started before you give the insulin. A lot of places will have pre-filled pre syringes, um, 50 units of Act Rapid and 50 mils of saline, or you can make that up. The starting dose can be either 0.05 or 0.1 units per kilo per hour. Um, some places will tend to start at the lower end, but if you have severe DKA, it's fine to start at the higher end. Um, it's really important if the child is on a pump that should be disconnected because the pump is not working. Um, however, if they're a known diabetic, you continue their background insulin, their basal insulin, or a new diabetic, you could give basal insulin at that point as well. Um, it's worth noticing that if your ketones are very slow to clear, for example, after six to eight hours, if your ketones are still very high, you can increase the insulin. So if you start it on 0.05, you can increase to 0.1 units per kilo per hour. However, the capillary ketones at the bedside, they're not accurate over five, so a six is the same as an eight. So don't worry too much if, it's, um, if, if you're thinking, oh, it's gone, it's gone from six to, up to eight, it's really not changed. Um, these children require, require very close monitoring, really. Often their HDU level, particularly if there's like a severe DKA with pH below 7.1 or if they're under two. If, in those situations, they need really half hourly CNS OBS and one-to-one -one nursing. However, all children really need hourly CNS OBS, hourly capillary glucose, capillary ketones. Um, gas, electrolytes and glucose should be done after two hours and then four hourly at least, but more frequently if needed. It's very important. A doctor will obviously be seeing this child at diagnosis, but then at least four hourly. It's important that they're reviewed just to look at their observation chart. What's their GCS? Um, look at their results, including their corrected sodium, and I'll come to that in a moment. Um, look at the ECG trace, what's, is there a sign of low or high potassium, and looking at the fluid balance. So they do need very close um, observation. Going back to our case, you can see what happened through the pathway there, um, and I'll go into this in some detail in a table in a moment. The important things to note are once the glucose falls below 14, you should add dextrose to your maintenance and rate rate deficit fluids. If the glucose falls again below six, you can increase the percentage dextrose in the fluids and up to 10% can be given peripherally. 
So this is just showing the, our, the progress of our case. So he came in early in the morning, um, was in shock with a high heart rate, bloods confirmed DKA, he got a 20 mil per kilo bolus over 15 minutes, and then at the next set of OBS, his heart rate had improved, he still had very high glucose and ketones as you would expect. And at that point he started the maintenance fluids, which was normal saline and 20 millimoles of potassium in a 500 mil bag. A couple of hours later, he got a repeat gas. Um, the glucose is the same really, the ketones are still high, it's still early days. Um, his pH is um, still a severe acidosis. Um, at two hours, he started on the insulin. It was started at the lower rate of 0.05 units per kilo per hour. Um, six and a half hours in at the next gas, you can see the glucose had fallen down to 12.4. So at this stage, 5% dextrose was added. So normal saline, 5% dex and 20 was the maintenance and deficit fluids. Um, the ketones there stayed around five. So this was six hours in. So the insulin rate was put up uh, to 0.1 units per kilo per hour um, because it was ongoing severe DKA. And then a few hours later, you can see that everything started to gradually improve and the pH gradually improved and the ketones by half six in the evening had fallen below one. So that's a sign that you're winning. Um, and we just expect a gradual correction really. And it gets often that the pH can be quite stubborn to improve for the first few hours. Um, so by half 10 that night, um, the glucose had actually fallen down to six, the ketones were below one and the pH was gradually improving. Because the glucose was falling, the fluids were changed to normal saline and 10% dextrose, again with 20 millimoles of potassium in a 500 mil bag. And by midnight, really, you had seen the pH corrected over 7.3, the bicarb was over 15, the glucose was 10, and the ketones were below 1. So that's your DKA resolved. So there would be an option there to reduce the insulin to 0.05 units per kilo per hour and continue everything overnight until they're eating the next morning. Or you could just start background insulin. And that's probably what I would recommend. The less time the child is on IV insulin, the less risk of severe hypokalemia. So you can give their, back, their basal insulin if they're not going to eat. Um, so Levamir or Lantus or Traceba could be started. And then one hour after that, you can stop the insulin infusion. And usually it stop the fluids at the same time. So just some tips if your acidosis isn't correcting, like in this case, are the ketones clearing? Do you need more insulin? L review the, the fluid status. Is the child sho in shock? Do they need more fluids? Um, did you make a mistake calculating the fluids? Is there sepsis? Very rarely um, this would co-occur with DKA, but um, think about it if the child has a fever. White, high white cell count is common in DKA and doesn't necessarily mean sepsis. Um, another thing we commonly see with the previous protocol was high chlorides, um, but this will correct spontaneously. Some places would, will change to plasmolite, but you do need to add potassium then. Um, other rarely salicylate or recreational drugs are causing an ongoing acidosis. Um, it's useful to look at the anion gap, which is usually between 20 and 30 to 30 in DKA, but if it was higher, consider sepsis. What's their perfusion? What's their lactate? So cerebral edema um, is very, very important, and that will be our main fear in a child with um, DKA. The early, it typically will occur in the first 12 hours of treatment, but sometimes times it can happen before treatment starts, and very rarely it can happen 24 to 48 hours after treatment starts. So the early signs are very nonspecific. Maybe the child's got a sore head, they're irritable. It's very important a doctor sees that child urgently to assess them. If there's any neurological changes, then you have to suspect a cerebral edema. So um, in studies have shown that, like a lot of the times it's reduced to GCS in 40%. Um, cranial nerve palsies would be 
diagnostic of it really. 35% um, of children with cerebral edema have those. Abnormal posturing response to pain, so decorticate or decerebrate posturing, again, would be cerebral edema unless proven otherwise really. And, and Cushing's triad can also occur in about 40%. So the heart rate falling, the blood pressure rising and abnormal respirations. Certainly if there's respiratory pauses or arrests, that's a very late sign and those children do very poorly. So if you have any of these physical signs, you should treat it as cerebral edema. So how to do that? Um, while you are reviewing the child, just check a blood glucose in case it's low glucose causing a reduced GCS. Elevate the head of the bed, get senior help, restrict the fluids to half of what they're currently on, but it's important their blood pressure is maintained for cerebral perfusion. Um, and then give whichever is easiest to hand, either mannitol or hypertonic saline. It doesn't matter which. Um, the dose is handily enough the same for both of them, so 2.5 to 5 mils per kilo over 10 to 15 minutes. And that can be, that's 20% mannitol or hypertonic saline, 2.7 or 3%, just whatever you have. Once that's done, then it's important to get discussed with PICU. How is the child doing? Hopefully they've responded and improved. Um, neuroimaging can be useful when they're stable, but is not a priority in the um, in the acute situation, you're really doing it not to confirm cerebral edema, but to look and see has there been a bleed, an infarct or an embolism or something like that for your differentials. Document everything carefully, including the times. Manitol can be given again half an hour later, or if you give manitol the first time, you can give hypertonic saline the second time. And this is also covered in the care pathway and it goes through exactly what to do and, and um, how to document it and it covers everything. So it's excellent, the care pathway. So hopefully that hasn't happened and the decay has now resolved. Like I said, the pH is better, 7.3 or above, bicarb over 15, ketones less than one and glucose below 14. That child should then be started on subcut insulin. Usually we'll stop the IV insulin half an hour after rapid acting insulin or one hour after a pump or long acting insulin. Um, and typically we'll stop the IV fluids at that point because the child is able to eat and drink. Um, and it's very important that they're educated on DK prevention and what to do in a sick day. So the sick day rules that we use here are standard. If the child's unwell, if they're known diabetic that's unwell, they should never stop their insulin. Even if they're eating less, just reduce the insulin, but never stop it. Parents are advised to test their sugar frequently every two to three hours. And if they have glucose over 14 twice in a row, they should check ketones or one high glucose and they're sick vomiting, then check the ketones. Most of our, our parents are checking capillary ketones, so anything over 0.6 is positive, um, or urine one plus or more for the purposes of, of what to do at home. So the first sick day dose is 10% of their total daily dose of insulin. Generally, children with poor control will have that drummed into them at clinic, what's their 10% dose? Um, if two hours later they still have uh, ketones positive, you repeat a, a rescue dose with 20% of rapid acting insulin. Um, and then if they're still positive two hours later, you're gonna give them another stat dose of 20% of their rapid acting insulin. If they needed three sick day doses, they should really go to hospital. But if any stage, if their parents are worried, the child's very sleepy, they're continually vomiting, um, they, they need to go to hospital to be assessed. Often the parents will phone the ward for advice as well. For children on a pump, because there's no basal insulin, they can get into DKA relatively quickly. Um, so they're asked to test ketones if their sugar is over 14. And if it's positive, you have to assume the pump isn't working. So you will give a correction by a pen. Also change the whole infusion set of the pump and troubleshoot the pump, which is a little self-test by pressing a few buttons. 
they get an injection of rapid-acting insulin. If the ketones are just 0.6 to 1.5, then it's 10% of their total daily dose. But if they're over 1.5, it's 20%. And those children can also increase their basal insulin by 150% or 200% to try and clear the ketones quicker. So finally, um, just to summarise then the, the take-home messages, do think of DKA in the unwell child. The presentation is not always classical. There are a lot of things that DKA can mimic and occasionally something else can look like DKA that isn't. Um, DKA can kill, so always think of cerebral edema if there is a deterioration. If you're asked to review a sick child um, with DKA, the nurses complain, said the child complains of a headache, they're dropped their GCS, there's any concern like that, they have to be seen immediately. Um, it's really important to double check all your fluid calculations because they are complicated. But if you use the fluid calculator and the DK, pair, DK care pathway on the BSP ED website, that will keep you right. Don't stop the IV insulin until subcutaneous insulin has been given. Ask for help at any stage. And it's very important there's education on DK prevention for all children, particularly those with poor glycemic control. And hopefully raising awareness of type 1 diabetes symptoms and the four T's in the general public will mean less children come to hospital in DK in the first place. So thanks very much for listening and I'm happy to take any questions.